The Secrets of Sacred Art is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Sacred Art where we unearth the hidden treasures, history, and deeper meanings in religious and sacred art. We're your hosts, Alex Murray and Catherine Laffrey. Welcome to Episode 3 of The Secrets of Sacred Art. Color, does it matter? In this episode, we will walk through uh, some basic color theory, psychology, or psychological influences colors have on us, and we'll look at some traditional meanings of common colors in sacred art. Uh, this podcast is being recorded as a video, so if you want the full viewing pleasure and see all the details, uh, go to the YouTube channel and check it out there to see all the fun little images we're going to be putting up for you today. So, Alex, do you have a favorite color? Um, well, I was thinking about this, and I do like a bit of color, you know, and um, but I think for me, it's easier to say the colors I don't like versus the colors ah, I do like. Okay. <laughs> so I really, I love saturated colors. So I'm not really picky about, oh, it's got to be orange or red or, or blue. Um, as long as it has a depth to it. And that doesn't even necessarily mean a darkness or the hue doesn't have to be um, really strong, but I do like a lot of saturation. What I don't like are um, like milk toast kind of wishy-washy, you know, like baby, baby blues and pinks and no pastels for you. And no, like marshmallow <laughs> colors. I don't. I really do not like those colors at all. But, you know, but if it's like a neon color, if as long as it's really bold and strong, I love it and uh-huh. whatever it is, but it, it needs to be, it needs to be, it has to have presence for me to be interested in it. So I don't really care for, um, for things that don't really want to, I don't know, uh, colors that, that are just, um, not there. Like they don't, they act like they really don't want to be there. Okay. Then don't be here. Go do something <laughs> else. So if, so that's like my long answer. Don't have a favorite color, but as long as the colors are strong and there, I'm, I probably, I will work with it. I will work with it. Nice. That's definitely something we have in common. I love a good, bold color. Jewel yeah. tones. Uh, love them. Deep yeah. rich reds yeah. and dark blues. Um, that's always just kind of a fun balancing act though when you're decorating a home with a bunch of other people that live in it. <laughs> yeah, like, who might not uh, really be don't, into color. <laughs> don't do that. We have so far painted the girls' bathroom three times since we've moved here. <laughs> because yeah. as each one of them had a chance to have the bathroom to themselves, they're like, oh, <laughs> I don't like this color green. It's too soft. And I don't like how my face looks in the mirror. And then it's like, That's I want to so wake funny. up in the morning. Let's make it bright yellow. And then the next person's like, I can't walk in that bathroom in the morning. It's too bright. <laughs> so, so it's yeah. been fun. Yeah. So colors exactly. do affect our environment in a big way. <laughs> they do. They yeah. do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And even the parts of the world that you're living in, the colors really, I can remember when we were in Norway, the, um, 
when you talk about the jewel tones, that that cool, crisp, blue toned, um, the mountains and the snow on the you know the snow capped mountains and uh, and the the blue of the fjords. Uh, I remember one day I was I was tramping up. We lived halfway up a mountain, so I thought I was just going up the mountain one day, and I happened to look across at a little field of bullocks, and there were the field was like this rich emerald green or the pasture was a rich emerald green and the bullocks were black and white and there were tiny little daisies, you know, white daisies with the um, yellow centers. And they were kind of in amongst that. And beyond that was this navy blue, almost black fjord. And then with the gray sky and then beyond that, the mountains. And uh, that was early summer. And I was like, Okay, Norway, I forgive you for that winter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's always a spring after winter, right? (laughs) Exactly. And it was just the richness of the colors that were coming through were just extraordinary. And I always remember that image and how complimentary they, you know, these were just things that were in nature. And yet the colors were exquisite, the way they complemented each other and the way they um, really showed off the beauty, the natural beauty. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, a big, when you talked about showing off the colors, that was a big push Disney did back in 1961 for the first ever color episode of, and it wasn't called The Wonderful World of Disney. It was the the uh, Wonderful World of Color. And so oh, they, wow. they wanted to really bring full color to people's homes that, you know, had color TV we were actually polite to the people that may still have black and white and talked about, you know, what it's like to see things in color and black and white. But there's yeah. a great song from that first episode that stuck with me since I was a little kid. I mean, the episode aired before I was born, but in yes. elementary school, <laughs> they would show little shorts from this episode because there are little educational shorts in there. And one that stuck with me is probably why I was on the path to becoming an artist was Disney Spectrum song written by the very awesome Sherman brothers who wrote so many great Disney songs and it gets stuck in your head. And I used to sing <laughs> it with my girls cause we had the CD. So I'm going to just give it my best now. Okay. So it goes red, yellow, green, red, blue, 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 red, purple, green, yellow, orange, red, red, blend them up. <laughs> and what do you get? Cherie, chartreuse and ah, Ma, beige, and ultramarine, and every color in between. My girls would always be like, What color is that, Mom? We gotta find the color. <laughs> so, just, I mean, good old Professor Von Drake, classic little Disney duck who taught me everything about colors and got me hooked on wanting to maybe work for Disney or be an artist someday. Yeah. Uh, we will definitely put a link to that full episode. It is fabulous just to see how they introduce color to the public um, on TV. You know, as my girls would yeah. say, some of it seems a little trippy. I'm girls. It was the beginning of the 60s. So I'm going to make the colors look a little crazy. There but, you go. Uh, well, I, I was going to say, I have to say kudos to you for singing. Like between the two of us, I have to say Catherine has the better voice. She really and does. That was a so. bad job. <laughs> well done. No. Oh, it's, anything is better than what I could have managed. So I'm just, I admire, I admire the pipes. Yeah. But, uh, 
Well, but, thank goodness color has more harmony than my singing just did right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Well, that's the thing. That's what's really interesting about, um, and I know we're going to be talking about music and harmony, mm-hmm. but, you know, colors do harmonize yeah. and there are things that just naturally go together. And, you know, we have color theory today, but I mean, people have been understanding this stuff in a really deep and profound way for as long as there have been people. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a, it's almost instinctive, I think, but, oh yeah, you know, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's talk ah, about what, good. okay. Oh, there's Professor oh, there we go. Drake. Yes. Yeah. Speaking of color and music right there, his little spectrum of color, which glanced off of his glasses in the spotlight, landed on the keyboard. And he says, oh, look at my wonderful harmony of colors that I have. And yes, like you said, there is harmony in colors and for Years, there have been scientists, musicians, artists trying to delicately link together color and sound so that they could actually create symphonies with lights changing according to the sound. And, oh, cool. You know, using it in movies, you know, to affect mood and just all that kind of how does it all fit together? And that's something that's been talked about and changed over the years over and over again. But that will definitely have to be a talk for another time because there's so much to dive into with harmony yeah, of sound is. and color. So um, we're just going to start back with basics. You might get me singing again here. There you go. No, but, you take the lead. Hey, you know, just I, th- I like, think it's fascinating. You know, good old, you know, I learned a lot from songs and things like that growing up. So... Good old Maria Von Trapp. When you read, you begin with A B C. Oh, A B C. I was when like, you read, Do yeah. Me. When you, yeah, when you sing, you begin with Do Re Mi. Yeah, I and when we bit. paint, we begin with red, yellow, blue. Yes, that's our, true. That's our sweet little primary colors. Um, purposely colorize the letters so you can see how they look when they're used all together. So what we have here is basically the central hub of the color wheel. And when I was an art teacher, I loved teaching little kids how to make a color wheel so that they would learn how to mix paints and just have fun figuring things out. Have you ever made a color wheel, Alex? I have not made a color wheel, but I have used color wheels a lot. Uh But now now I feel like I should make my own. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think it helps you get a better understanding of how they how they all work together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So our our sweet little primary colors here, you can they do have an elementary feel to them. And a lot of elementary journals and books and things, you'll see a lot of use of primary colors. Um, They have great contrast from one another. And I'd have to say probably little babies are most drawn to them because of that contrast. But what's really neat is when you take those primary colors and then start mixing them together, maybe the red and the blue or the red and the yellow, the yellow and the blue, that's when we get what's called the secondary colors. Yeah. And so here into the color wheel, we've pushed out our primary colors of red, blue, and yellow. And then in between them, when you mix red and blue, you get purple. Purple, yes. <laughs> and we mix the red and the yellow, we get our 
orange. Orange. And when we mix the yellow and the blue, we get... Make it green. Green. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I had fun making this color wheel on the computer because I actually wanted to see if I could take the two colors and put one lighter layer over the other to get the color I wanted. Yeah. So to make the purple, I actually like put down the solid blue and then put a little blanket of red over it. But I made the red so that it was partially see-through. And sure enough, it was like, boom, got that perfect little yeah. purple. So it's neat, though, because you got to think about there's a balance. Um, some colors are a little weightier than others. So you're not always yeah. mixing even amounts to get exactly the color exactly in the and of course the background is going to matter as well you've got a yep. you've got a black background here but if you had a white background it would look really different because i think the the um the yellow might fade a little bit yep. and not be quite as prominent but i'm just looking at the colors of the secondary colors uh the words yeah and those are all mardi gras colors <laughs> yes they are yeah I was, I was like as soon as i wrote it out i was like oh that's very seasonal looking and it's like mardi gras and we see mardi it a lot during uh all Saints Day, All Souls Day. Yeah. Pop up yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So we get all these new colors. And then when our color wheel's not complete, we need to fill in the gaps in between. So if we mix a primary color with its adjacent secondary color, Makes we get it, our yeah. six lovely tertiary colors. They're also called intermediate colors in the middle. And yeah. So yeah. It's just neat to see when it all just fills in. And these colors, these six, look so good together that they would be yeah. a great color palette to work from for maybe yeah. a little graphic design or other things like that. Yeah. And then the other thing is what you what you obviously you can't show in 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 detail with the with this color wheel is the grade the gradient between one to another. Those are all colors i mean that's what's so cool about it like oh, yeah. they're just an infinite number of blues that get you from the primary blue to the tertiary to the secondary blue yep. to the tertiary blue it's really incredible yeah incredible. just like measuring there's always another measurement in between you can take these adjacent colors mix them together and get another color yeah and yeah depending on whether or not you're male or female you're going to see more colors that's true that's women, true. Women do have a old, tendency to see more and, colors. And young as well. Yeah. yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah. 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 Sorry, guys. More of you are colorblind than women. So. Take heart. I'm sure birds have an extraordinary spectrum of colors that we are missing out on. So. Oh, just like uh, bees. Yeah. It's so wonderful to see. They did a little uh, show once showing what bees can see. And they get yeah. to see a whole range of colors that we're missing out on. I know. I know. It's so it amazing. Changes everything. Yeah. I saw um, a video um, about the colors that deep sea um, animals see. And yeah. it's like, if you look at it from their point of view, it, it's, it's, like, it's like another planet. It's so incredible. And Always. how colors disappear the farther down you go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But then they see something else. You know, it's so cool. It's so yeah. Cool. It's fascinating. Yeah. That's when you get into the neon stuff. Oh, yeah. We get yeah. all kinds of fun things that way. But yeah, it's just neat to see how different the color wheel can be expressed. And I came across this wonderful image. 
Yeah. Oh, so this is a 19th century color theory chart. And I believe this might be one of the first times in publication that they use the uh, term uh, tertiary. So I saw that when I was looking up definitions. and it's like, in, ter- okay. in terms of color? Yeah. In description, describing color. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and describing the color. I think colors. tertiary is a... Yes, yeah, yeah, and describing okay. the colors, the intermediate colors there. We're talking colors yeah. today. So yeah. But I loved how this yeah. chart starts at the top. You've got the primary colors and then the neat little overlay of the, mm-hmm. the primary color with another one. And then the in between, you get the little change in color. So you have the little bit of orange between the red and the yellow and a little bit of green between yellow and blue. But what was really neat was the next step in this chart. They took those secondary colors and blended them together. And they have this wonderful little range of neutral colors. So yeah. you have a yeah. nice, an olive and a brown and a slate. I was like, yeah. oh, that's such a neat little you know way of showing those different options. It is. And it's it's interesting how they have kind of like the Venn diagram type of mm-hmm. imagery there. Because uh, it totally makes sense. You know. Yeah. It's fun to do with watercolors if you have a good a good set. Let one dry for a little bit and then brush the other color over it. Yeah. It yeah. works out real nicely. Same thing yeah. with egg tempera too. I, I haven't tried egg tempera, but Oh yeah. Yeah. One day. Yeah, one day. <laughs> I love how they took all these different colors and overlaid three of them together. So the three primaries, the three secondaries, the three neutrals, and each one of them has that same kind of charcoaly black center. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just a fun, neat way of... It is. It's And it is really, when you think about it, how is it that you take all these, you've got nine different colors, but they're all making, when you mix them together, the same color. Yeah. That's really cool. That it's is kind neat. of like the number nine. Mm-hmm. I could go on and on about the number. Oh my gosh, and that was nine colors. There you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we get yeah, all we the like numerical numbers as well. math in there, yeah. I know, and yeah, and we'll be talking about that in in art. But I, um, yeah, gosh, every day you just never know. Nine will surprise you, people. Uh, right. <laughs> this sounds like we're going to have a whole topic on nine soon. Yeah, nine uh, and three. Yeah, but what's fun is with the color wheel. Back to our nice, bright, colorful one. Yeah, we've got our different harmonies of color. So complementary colors are across the way from each other on the color wheel. Yeah. And just one example, I've got the blue with the orange. I mean, complementary colors are great for sports uniforms. They really pop against each other. So yeah. Being yeah, a Michigan, do. Detroit Tigers, blue and orange. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, is that why you uh, use that? Maybe. As opposed to, yeah, okay, okay just wondering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then a fun little twist on the complementary colors is the split complementary colors. So instead of going straight across, you end up taking the two colors on either side. So yeah. instead of just purple with yellow, it's got the the two intermediate colors with it. So sort of a orange yellow and a chartreuse, I guess. Yeah. 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 Or kind of. Yeah. Like a yeah chartreuse. Yeah. Everyone picture chartreuse in your head. That's I know. <laughs> picture that chartreuse little bright green car zooming by. Usually. Yeah. It's like but, Mike from Monsters Inc. Yes. Best way to describe it. 
No yeah. wonder he you know, looks so pop off the screen there. Yeah. But I love how the split complementaries almost have a party feel to them. You've got a bit of pop yeah. of color. Yeah. <laughs> it's Again, these are Mardi Gras colors that you, you've picked out. So I yep, don't know if yep. you meant to do that, but they work. Uh, they I like a good work. party, I guess. <laughs> 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 and then I'm going to go over it. There's so many other cool combinations available, but I just kind of went with these four. So the next two are Triad, which is pretty basic use, kind of stems from the way the primary colors look so good together. You can pretty much spin a triangle anywhere around the color wheel and get a neat little triad combination. Yeah. And yeah. then one of my favorites are the analogous colors. There's three to four colors that are right next to each other on the color wheel, and they have, you know, a common color with them. So maybe they all have a bit of red in them, or they all have a bit of yellow that sort of combination. And the best way to describe analogous colors is any sunset will have yeah. that beautiful fade from one color to the next. That's true, except but when you get into the, the atmosphere itself, then you do get that complementary mm-hmm. color. And and that that's what makes the analogous colors really pop out because you've got that background of mm-hmm. of of a complementary color. In a previous job, I had a fun task of trying to create a sunset that could be painted quickly on a tiny little magnet. And what I came up with was I laid out the colors and stripes on my palette and dabbed the sponge on it. But the one thing I had to make sure I did was put a separating line between, um, I think it was green and red were kind of appearing in a space along that sunset. And I had to separate them so I wouldn't end up with a muddy color in the middle. Yeah, So put a little white in there and it's like, bah, gave the perfect little pop that we needed. And even we did a a blue and an orange were next to each other. So same thing, had to. Yeah, you had to, yeah, because otherwise it's just going to be, everything can descend into brown. Yeah, give them a little, yeah. (laughs) As I'm sure every parent knows when you're like giving your, child some paints and markers and like oh that was so great now it's all brown yeah (laughs) yeah they all start to blend together they're out there on the sidewalk with their chalk and it all gets muddied together yeah I'm sure do you know what it just occurred to me I wonder if if the type of color combinations we like is a reflection of our personalities you know you like the analogous ones Mm -hmm. and then I tend to like the complementary ones or the triad you know that oh, yeah. aren't blending, but quite uh, stark and distinct. And, and then, you know, yeah. but that's why we work so That's why we work so well together, that's I right. think. Yeah. <laughs> so have you used any of those um, color techniques with your knitting? I know you like to knit different things together. So have you yes. tried some of those harmonies? I do. In fact, one of the things I used it for, um, what I've used the color wheel for, um, is making fair isle knits. Because a lot of the colors, the wool, because I use um, wool, 100% wool. So uh, in some of the, some of the wool that is used, they are, it's not like a white sheep or white wool. It can be gray or it can be black. And a lot of the the times when um, you want to get those heathered tones, uh, gray wool is used, they'll dye the wool the gray wool to these different colors. And so you can have a blue, but it's a heathered blue or it's Mm -hmm. a heathered um, purple and they're beautiful colors. They just don't really look that great on me. 
And so I like to come. That'd be nice on me. (laughs) It doesn't really look that great on me. So when I put together uh, a Fair Isle uh, last year, I used a color wheel and I just um, compared and contrasted and I got away from kind of those softer heathery colors and, um, and I used some colors that I thought were a little stronger, uh, more to my taste. And, and I'm actually the next, my next big project is going to be one using really bright colors and neutrals. Uh-huh. So, um, I call it a jet, my, um, Obi-Wan Kenobi robe. So uh, maybe nice. when I finish it, I'll wear it and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, but yes, I do use, I, yeah, you know, you have to think about these things because it is something that you're working with and, and you can get all kinds of interesting things. And when you're making something, you might as well play, learn to play with the colors. You don't have to always follow the rules. Um, you can, you can play around and get something really unique. So yes, I (laughs) I do use the color wheel and I take it out all the time with knitting. I had to admit, I pushed my uh, grandmother, Busha, Polish grandmother, pushed her, uh, her crochet skills a little far for her. She used to love working with, uh, cream colors and a few dark blues and dark reds and things like that. And mm-hmm. when my youngest or oldest was about to be born, I had planned to decorate the whole room Noah's Ark. And she's mm-hmm. like, oh, I want to make crochet a nice little afghan for her. What would you like? And I told her, oh, I know exactly what I want. And so I went with her to the, sh- to the yarn shop, grabbed this beautiful sky blue, and then grabbed every color of the rainbow. <laughs> it's a Noah's Ark themed room. I want a nice rainbow blanket for her little. Oh my gosh. And so she was like, I've never used these colors all together. I'm like, Boosha, it's just the rainbow. Just like after the rain, you can do this. Exactly. Yeah. And those are primary colors too. Oh my gosh. She, she oh. loved it. Yeah. So I pushed her, pushed her buttons again for the next granddaughter too and we threw in some yellows and mauves and crazy colors oh my gosh. for the jungle themed room so oh for goodness sakes your poor busha <laughs> she handled it well though she did good i think she made no a few doubt. blank ones in between there just to not stress there, out just to so. just to cleanse her palette yeah yeah <laughs> so that's the basics of color theory um what's really unique is what's happened in the field of interior design because they found that colors across the globe have an effect on people. Mm-hmm. So Alex, you're in your lovely green room there. Do you, oh, feel, yeah. do you feel nice and calm? <laughs> is this your place uh, of relaxation? <laughs> I don't, this is actually, this is a gathering place for the family. So perhaps a little bit of relaxation or, or just time to spend, spending time together. But uh, yeah, I, I, I do like this green room. <laughs> <laughs> it is nice. But yeah, what's also interesting about colors is they will also affect kind of our base feeling. So they'll affect our appetite. And some colors, like mustard and ketchup colors, will actually make you feel hungry. And yeah, orange and things like that. But there's also colors... That will completely turn off your appetite. And if you've ever seen a moldy piece of bread or a moldy orange, you're going to run yes. from that piece and just be like, oh, I can't eat now. That's so, true. Although, yeah. how do you explain cheese? That's the- <laughs> You know, I <laughs> think that's always... just people just close their eyes and enjoy on that one, quite honestly. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Yeah. But definitely red makes you feel 
hungry. I have a yeah. little story about red. Yeah. If you'd like me to share. Okay. Oh, so yeah. Tell us years about it. Oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> All right. I don't do this sort of thing anymore. Okay. But I worked at a wildlife clinic. And um, mostly be looked after predatory birds at uh, the occasional songbird would come in or waterfowl or whatever. But our main focus was rehabilitating and releasing um, pre- uh, raptors. And somebody had brought in, thank goodness, they'd brought in a nest that had been at the top of a tree that had been cut down. Uh, they were building something and Thankfully, the the construction crew brought the nest in and there were three hawk chicks in this nest and they were incredibly cute, you know, because they're precocious birds. They're born with with their feathers and they're all fluffy and they look like little cotton balls with their big eyes. You know, obviously Mm -hmm. there's babies have a look no matter what they are. And um, so I was my job was to feed them and I would feed them the raw meat. But I was holding one and he just finished eating and he just looked so cute. And I don't know what came over me, (laughs) but I decided to give him a kiss on his beak. And I wear red lipstick and he did not see a loving kiss coming towards him. He just (laughs) saw another really big piece of meat and he grabbed my lip and I just... And even though he was a baby, it was really painful. And I have a scar from um, that experience, my little my little hawk kiss. But (laughs) yes, so red does equal hunger or maybe food. It equals food. So that's my my one. So don't do that. Uh, folks, don't don't try kissing hawks. Don't kiss <laughs> they a don't hawk. Like it. That'll be an interesting lip piercing conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'll you'll remember it. Let's just put it that oh, way. You'll yeah. remember if you get if you kiss a hawk and Definitely. they kiss you back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is so crazy, though. A little bit, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, there's also um, colors within interior design. Um, there's a great website um, called foyer f-o-y-r and we'll put a link to this on there and they talk about the colors in your rooms and how they have effect on you so like we were talking about red making you feel hungry red also gets your blood pressure up so you feel Mm. energized and you're excited to do things so it works well in um, maybe an office space where you want people to really get productive and these are some pictures actually from around my house and a different home also that I used to own. But um, I just realized as I was reading through this going, oh yeah, you know, do you want that excitement? And here in my living room where we have some of the best family conversations, I have a couch Mm. and chair that have this pop of red to it. So it really does have some energy spur to it. And then when the Christmas tree's in there in the wintertime, Get a nice little complimentary color combo going on there between the green and yeah, the Christmas tree yeah. and the red. So it definitely like gets the conversation going. It also reminded me that in our previous house, I had this red color in the kitchen. And it's no wonder with young kids, it was always a very hyperactive, fun yeah. place to be in the kitchen. <laughs> that little bit of red got them going. Yeah, yeah. But I did learn to like calm things down. So blues and greens, those nice cool colors give you a nice like relaxation sense. So we have a little library corner in our family room. And I love this deep, whoops, 
deep sleep blue. Didn't mean to change the slide there. There you go. And uh, so that's a really nice, calm place to be. It's kind of where we wind down for the night. And yeah. everybody's just kind of like the calm down space. And then is that um, where you is that where you um, watch Star Trek? Is that the room that you? Yes, that is our movie yeah, room okay. where we get to yeah, watch okay. movies. I was going to say I, I kind of recognize the color because of a photograph that you sent a oh, while yeah. ago. Yeah, but yeah, I know, and it's I have always found movie theater colors to be the one thing I want in the family room where we're going to be watching movies. I love those old movie theaters, especially ones where they had like the velvet chairs and things like that. Yeah. So I like those velvety colors in the in the family room. But then in our previous home, we had a very narrow, small dining room. And it felt so small. And I was like, I'm going to do a mural in this room. And my husband was afraid it would make the room look too small because of all the paint. I was like, don't worry about it. It's going to make the room look bigger. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. Kind of inspired by some of the uh, mural wallpaper um, that was popular, I think it was 17, 1800s. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. So, and I actually picked two of our favorite vacation spaces. Not only that, but on one of the windows, I made sure that the road in the painting lined up with the road outside the window. So wow. when you sat down, nice. you just felt like the whole room just opened up. So, so I had exactly. that, that, that sky blue ceiling. So the colors can really affect your surroundings. Yeah, of course, well, that's a green yellow. dining room. Oh. Essentially, that's a green dining room, just like mine. <laughs> <laughs> and the sad part about that dining room is when we moved, uh, we had to move before the house sold. And when I came back, the realtor painted mm -hmm. over the entire downstairs in white. Yeah, they will do that. Yeah. yeah. And the people that bought the home, young couple, they saw the murals I did in the girls' room because those didn't get painted over. And I said, there was a mural in the dining room, and I'm sorry it was painted over. And she's like, can you show me pictures? And she's like, yeah. I would have loved to have had that as my dining room. And I was like, oh, you're going to make me cry. There you <laughs> so, go. So, yes, there are times when, you know, colors and things can appeal to one person or they appeal to everyone and kind of, you know, help place things give you a good setting and that's how it is in, even in sacred art yeah absolutely and absolutely you walk into a, a i'd say a fully rendered church with not just stained glass windows and white walls but stained glass windows and painted walls and ceilings and somehow you're placed in another world because of the colors you're taken yeah. to what a church is supposed to do to that doorway to heaven so to speak yeah the city of god yeah <laughs> so have you ever had an experience of like colors in a room or an atmosphere really affecting you yes interestingly enough um the first time i went to um assisi in italy we went to the basilica um saint francis's saint francis of assisi the basilica and we got to see the murals that were painted by giotto mm -hmm of the life of St. Francis. And uh, a lot of people have probably seen different images from, from this uh, basilica. And what I had not realized was, A, how big the images were. 
they were almost life size. And the halos are three dimensional, you know, mm-hmm. coming out of the walls. And so you really feel like you're coming into a, a, this, this space that is taking you to a different dimension. But the colors in this basilica, so these were all um, frescoes. So mm-hmm. these were um, uh, images painted on, on damp plaster. So mm-hmm. they, you know, went where it wasn't degraded, the, the color was still quite strong. And it was so overwhelming in a really good way that I felt like my eyes weren't big enough to take in everything. I yes. just wanted to absorb it all. I wanted to be a part of this, everything that was going on in, in these images. It was, mm-hmm. it was just stunning. And I've had that experience a couple of times. I went to, again, a Franciscan, and um, I think it's another Basilica. This one was in uh, Krakow, right across from where Cardinal Vatiwa his mm-hmm. his residence was. And I think he did celebrate mass at this um, Franciscan Basilica. Again, the colors were just achingly beautiful. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. You go in and, and it makes you, your heart long for something to just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and a lot of it is obviously the imagery. It's a combination of things because I can guarantee you if I'd walked into either one of those basilicas and all of them were like the marshmallow pinks, blues, and yellows, I would not be getting the same reaction. (laughs) Yeah. I've been into, um, a few Polish churches in and around the, uh, the States here. And it's amazing when you see just those layers and layers of colors like that. Recently I was in, um, out, uh, where was I? In New England. Uh, New Jersey, New Jersey. Yeah. yeah. Is that, that's not New England, is it? Ah, it's over know. there. I don't it's know. It's a, it's one of maybe. It's yeah. not Midwest. That's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. It's, this is like the Midwestern revenge on the East Coast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway. But anyway, still beautiful out there. So I went into a Polish church for Sunday mass when I was out that way. And just like you were saying, you step in, you see the colors and every, and I just, I had to stop. I was so glad I went early to mass so that I would have time to just soak it all in, you know, and yeah. there's so much to see. And then you start seeing things that are leading you to what mass is about, you know, what's, yeah. what's the service of, you know, the mass of the day and, and then staying after mass and just, again, taking my time and walking around and seeing everything. And I think that's the best thing is like, the church gives you that opportunity to step outside of the chaos of the world and find yeah. God's order and peace and direction inside the church. Yeah. And it is something that is, again, it speaks to the dignity of uh, the artist and mm-hmm. the creators. Um, it speaks to uh, giving, uh, doing justice to God in worship. Mm-hmm. But also it speaks to the dignity of the viewer, the person participating in the mass, or even the person walking around the the church. And, and I just can't emphasize this enough. I think sometimes people don't understand the importance of beauty. 
you know, I've heard over and over again, and I'm sure you have as well, when it comes to art and the church, oh, why doesn't the church spend this money on um, the poor or why are they, you know, why spend it on painting this, this church or this particular sculpture or architecture, but the poor deserve beauty as much as everyone else, if not more. Mm -hmm. Um, It is something to remind people of their own inherent dignity and then in turn to remind us of the dignity of those around us. And that's why it's so important to have really good sacred art in as many churches as we can get them into. And, and certainly color has a lot to do with that. Um, Mm -hmm. There are some really special colors in sacred art. Yeah. We're going to talk about those colors now. Before we we talk about those colors, though, we need to talk about a class that we were both in. I don't know if you finished it or not yet. Um, Not yet. (laughs) I'm like halfway through. Great class. So this is from Pontifex University, and it's the History and Practical Theology of Images taught by uh, Professor David Clayton. And I was really excited to see there was a lesson that he said he was going to be talking about color. Mm-hmm. Like awesome. I was like, okay. So I start listening to it and he's he's talking about frames and other things like that. And then he gets to color and he says, You may think this may be worthy of a whole series of lectures of the color symbolism in Christian art. He pauses and says, Well, sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> and right there is like, what? Wait, yeah. wait, wait, we're not doing a whole series on color. There's so much. But what he was referencing was in um, uh, who he learned from, uh, Aidan Hart, uh, iconographer from England, not too far from Alex. Nope. Yep. And uh, in his book on um, the techniques of icon and wall paintings, Aiden says, there is in fact no hard, fast rules to the color symbols in icons. And again, I'm like, wait, what? I always thought that it's like, this has to be this color. This has to be that color. I actually had a friend of mine that I worked with who took an iconography class while I was doing a painting for a different class in the program. And she told me, point blank, you're doing everything wrong. You can't use those colors. I just took an icon <laughs> class, and these are the only colors you're allowed to use for this person. Yeah. Was, oh, gosh. Really? Okay. That's interesting. So do you remember that moment in class? I do. I do. And I thought it was interesting. And, um, I mean, I can understand where they're coming from, Yeah. where there isn't a, a, a hard and fast rule, because um, iconography was really developed from the Romanesque or Roman, not Romanesque, Roman um, paintings that, you know, we, we showed a couple of things from, from, I I think, a Syrian synagogue uh, in our last episode. And so you can see the influence of, of just the art of the culture where these icons were developing early on. And of course, then they, it's a big, long history of of how we are now, where we are now (laughs) with iconography. But, but I think, it didn't surprise me that there weren't any hard and fast rules. And then also, if you read um, the churches, um, you know, a lot of writings that the church has, whether it's from St. John Paul the Great or the Catechism, there's a lot of leeway 
in what an artist can do. So it is not something that is constraining and can, and, um, restrictive in terms of the creativity of the artist. There are certain, I think, rules that make sense to follow in the same way that if you want to speak a language that other people can understand, yeah. you're going to have to follow some rules. I mean, you could speak your own language, but you're going to be talking to yourself. You know, we do naturally fall along these lines of rules, but, you know, the colors aren't necessarily part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, but having said that, so now I'm going to go a little bit on a tangent. Sorry, Catherine. Okay. <laughs> I was thinking about this. Uh, when we get into certain colors that we associate with certain things, mm-hmm. I was wondering, is it because do we associate this color with certain things because we as human beings have assigned these meanings to the colors or do these colors themselves indicate and communicate to us their meaning. Does that make sense? So, wow. (laughs) (laughs) So for example, you know, um, so this isn't a color I'm talking about a metal now. So, or an element. So gold, everybody values gold. So obviously it was valued for decorative purposes. Now they use it a lot in technology and, and, and we kind of appreciate this element for what it is, but it's something that's been appreciated and valued throughout human history all around the world. So the question is, does gold have a value because people put a value on it or do people recognize the value that gold inherently has? And it's the same with colors. (laughs) I'm just going to say yes. (laughs) Yes. And so it's the same with colors. So I don't want to jump too far ahead, but let's Mm -hmm. think about blue is is traditionally really um, associated with the Blessed Mother, Our Lady. And um, and it has a certain value. And it's also a particular blue. It's not every blue. And that blue pigment was highly valued. And. Um, and so we associate it with heaven and with, yes, with the blessed mother and and with the protections and all the things that, that come along with this person who, who, um, was the mother of God. Yep. And so she's got this blue. Why, why choose blue? Did we choose blue because somebody liked blue or is it because there was something inherent about blue? that people instinctively recognized and then wanted to associate it with her. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we're going to deep dive into. Yes. Okay. So that's my question. And I would have to say this. I would love it if anybody has any thoughts about this, who's listening to this, um, I guess with this beyond discord, we could talk about it. I would love to hear people's um, thoughts about, about these colors and, and why, there are no hard and fast rules about the colors we can use in Sacred Heart, but there seems to be certain colors that come up over and over yep. and over again. And that's what I liked, what Aiden went on to say after he said there's no hard, fast rules. He said that color meaning in icons is a guideline. Yeah, yeah. And then what is important is that the choice of colors creates harmonious work reflecting the spiritual beauty of the life of Christ. And that was like, okay, we're, we're trying to show that spiritual hidden understanding. So we're not going to yeah. just willy-nilly throw colors out there, and I'll show an example of that toward the end. But let's kind of jump right into 
just the very beginning, all color and no color. So we're going to start with black and white. Okay. All right. So let's add this to the stream. There it goes. So black and white. White in iconography. Because white, how it works, how you see, is the reflection of all color. It's thought of as the fullness. So it's of all things. So it's like the fullness of God, that full glory. And then Christ in the transfiguration, we have an image of the transfiguration here, was seen dazzling white. So yeah. I, actually, I actually heard one commentator who maybe is not fully grasping the faith yet, but I think someday he will. <laughs> he calls us shiny Jesus. So. Shiny Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so Jesus. And there's some paintings where he's so dazzling white, he almost looks like they forgot to paint him. He's all washed yeah. out. So then to contrast that black, which black is the absence of light. It's the absorbing of all colors. So think black hole in outer space. Nothing escapes. It's all absorbed in. Yeah. And yeah. black then represents that absence of light. So the absence of God, you're thinking of sin and, and yeah. this little staircase uh, to heaven here, a little ladder of ascension to heaven. You see the demons all in black pulling people down as they're trying to ascend to heaven. And then in the center here, there's a small picture of um, Christ and the harrowing of hell. And the cave that's representing hell is all painted dark black. So he's bringing them out of death, out of sin, out of the lack of light into his light. And he's wearing all white. Yeah. And, and actually he's crushing. I like how he's crushing a demon there. Oh, yeah. Under the door. <laughs> Under the door. Yeah. He's giving a yes. good squash. Yeah. 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 I have to say, I think I have it behind me. So my ivory back black paint. The craziest thing is when I open this up and look inside the jar. Yeah. I feel like there's nothing there. It's like you can't see the grains. You can't see anything. It's just... It's just a it hole. Just, it's just a hole. It's just bizarre, especially when my, my wet brush gets dipped in there and it's like the bristles just disappear into the black. That's yeah. just amazing how black, you know, can just absorb everything. Just It can do. Be and, that hole, and that I, emptiness. Yeah, and I think in going along... See, isn't this interesting in terms of how we understand... Uh, white and black on the on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess it would be the light spectrum. Yep. When we theologically talk about um, good and evil, good evil is not equal to in this. You know, it's not like the force where you've got the dark side and the light side, where right. they're kind of equal and they want to balance. Theologically, evil is the absence of good. Mm -hmm. There's something missing there. And, and I just find it fascinating how that is how evil is depicted is an absence of light, an absence of good. But then as people are understanding um, from a, a, a scientific perspective, 
what light is and what dark is. It actually matches up with the theological definition of good and evil. Yes. Which kind of goes back to my whole thing about the blue, right? We don't think about these things. We should go on to the blue right now because blue and red get used a lot in sacred Mm -hmm. art. And I purposely have here two depictions of Mary with the Christ child on her lap. Um, Slightly different poses, but very similar. Yeah. But what I wanted people to see was the switching of the coloration on Mary. Sometimes Mary has a blue outer garment and a red undergarment. And sometimes it's the other way around. And sometimes Mm -hmm. she's wearing a blue outer garment with a white undergarment. And some depictions of Mary can also be based on apparitions of Mary. She's appeared in different places around the world in slightly different colorations, but it's all still her. She's just using those colors, especially for the people that she's appeared to. So it has a connection, much like Our Lady of Guadalupe in uh, Mexico. Her colors were significant to Juan Diego and his people. And not only that, but the people of the the church that were already there, too, it all came together. Yeah. So, so yeah, as you were saying about blue being Mm -hmm. the sky and heavenly or dark blues, like the depth of the ocean, it feels endless. So you have blue a lot of times representing divinity, heaven. And why would Mary be wearing blue? Any ideas? I'm going <laughs> well, to let you answer the question, oh, boss. Okay. Now. Uh, well, I'm fine. <laughs> I, well, I think it's something that, um, well, it is something to do with uh, perhaps a queen, the queenship of Mary, uh, the blue, perhaps, for her. And she's participated in the one coming together of man and divine. So That's she right. was the mother of God. She participated. Exactly in bringing the divine to us as man. Yeah. So, so that's really... why she's clothed in the, in the heavenly blue to, mm-hmm. to show that participation. That's interesting. Now red, about that. Yeah. And then red is a very earthy color. Um, you're from the yes. South, Alex, the I red am. clays yes. of the South. <laughs> that would be in Alabama. That would be all, the next state over. The next state over. <laughs> it's also in Georgia and Kentucky yes, and true. Tennessee. There's a lot of red clay down there. That's true. Yes. So yes. very earthy color. Um, it is. Still very carnal. Used. Yes. Yes. You think, like you said, your little friend pecking at your lip, thinking you're a chunk yeah, of meat. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Not quite, not quite as dignified as uh, some of these images here. But, yeah. <laughs> so but, red uh, definitely defines humanity. So in the image of mm-hmm. Christ that we have here, you know, he's wearing red to show his humanity. He's wearing blue to show his divinity. We have his two divine, his two natures, both human and divine. Yeah. Like we talked about before with red being something that gets your blood pressure up, there's an excitement there. There's also a passion associated with red. So a lot of times um, you'll see Christ halo um, in red with his cross on there to make him think about, you know, make us think about the passion that he suffered for us, the love he has for us. 
and even as a child, you know, this it it does reinforce good theology. So it wasn't as if he became God or he became aware of who he was. He was always who he said he was. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So you yeah. have his red cross and all of these halos, even as a young child. I found yeah. it interesting in the first image that's up there that Christ is clothed in green and orange. I I was looking at the green and I was thinking that as well, because I think green is also um, an indication of, of the material world. Yes. But I, I wonder if the orange might be a degradation of the red pigment mm-hmm. because or of time. Be pointing or pointing toward the gold. That, and I was going to say, or it could be because there's quite a bit of, of gold um, on there. And that might have just distorted the, the red ever so slightly. Yeah. So speaking of gold, that is our next color to talk about. Cannot skip this image of Christ. This is from uh, the Hagasvia. Yeah. And it's a beautiful mosaic. And you can't get more gold and beauty than that. Well, some people might argue some other places, but they're beautiful golden mosaics. And gold is very significant in expressing the eternal day that was in Revelation. It's mm-hmm. God's mm-hmm. glory, his unending light, and that's what that gold is reflecting to kind of put you what it would be like to be in heaven. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, do you know the story behind this image? It's the Panther creator. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you know the story behind why we have this image anyway? Like how it survived? Yeah. Or, uh, wasn't it like plastered over when they wanted it? It was. Yeah. So with the, um, when the, when, the Muslims came in and and they and they took over the Hagia Sophia. Uh, they of course were preparing to to destroy these images because that was um, in conflict with their their belief system. But the general, I don't think he was called a general. I can't remember what what the exact term was, but he was uh, so taken aback by the beauty of the mosaics. He said cover them up. Don't destroy them because Mm -hmm. maybe one day we'll, we'll resolve this issue. And that that is how these amazing images have been preserved throughout time. So you just never know how things, um, there, there are a lot of things in history that were, were discovered and rediscovered with someone wanting to, um, uh, use it for another purpose, but they managed to, uh, instead preserve it for, for future audiences and uh, people. And then the other image that I put up here is a crucifix I painted. Um, Didn't have skills in gold work yet, but Mm. I did see that another option for gold is to do a bright yellow. And so in and around the background of the cross and in Christ's um, halo, I used a, a vibrant bright yellow that would really kind of help give that golden glow to it. So one of the things that I think is interesting here, Catherine, in your crucifix is um, the halo. So when I first glanced at it, I thought, oh, wait a minute, where's the red cross 
within the halo. And I noticed that you've got the red there. You've got the cross and you've got the red in the letters or in the words I am. And I think that's quite clever. So is that something that you planned out or was that something, the use of the red in the lettering? Is that something that just happened? How did, how did you come about that? Uh, the use of the red was planned out. Um, when I was painting this, I was asked to make it coordinate with a smaller crucifix similar that they had in their chapel area. And on that one, the halo was all gold. Okay. And it had, um, it had a few like red outlines. So the cross that's in the halo, it's not very visible in the small size, but on my website, you can probably zoom in and see it better. Um, I did uh, outline the halo and the little lighter cross and the I am is all in red and mm -hmm. it, it kind of pulls together. There's the deep border that goes around the outside tooth and a uh, little bit of the red from uh, Mary's garment. Yeah. Yeah. So I did find a really neat picture that kind of puts all of this together in one setting. So we have the use of all the colors we just talked about. So we have... And then some. And then some, yeah, some bonus <laughs> yeah. colors too. Yeah. So this is an image of uh, the Nativity. And you have... I'm not exactly sure who the saints are on either side. I forgot to mark that down. But... Um, What's really neat? I about would say this. I let's. I think they're. I think it's Peter and Paul. Okay, I'm just it going could be. with it. Yeah, just because of the the um, you know, one is an old man with mm -hmm. a beard. He's not. He's not carrying any keys that I can see. Although it looks like he might be in his hand, his raised hand, and then you know, Paul is always depicted as someone with a little bit of a receding hairline. Now, see, I would say yes for yeah, Paul, the receding hairline, but seeing Peter in purple and red kind of throws me off. I'm used to seeing him in yellows. Yeah, so, yeah, again. yeah, for the Vatican colors. But but I think whenever this was depicted or whenever this was painted, I don't know what, again, there are no hard, fast rules, Catherine. Don't get hung up on colors, please. Right? Thank you. That's what makes this so neat. You know, and like Aiden said, it's like a cultural like language you need to learn. So this is one of those secrets we got to try to figure out here. Exactly. Exactly. So we have the gold background, which gives us that heavenly light, the eternal day. Yeah. But there's also a little bit at the top above the... um the cave and tunnel or cave and mountain area, there's a little mm -hmm. bit of blue to give yeah. that heavenly blue. And then inside the cave of the stable area, it's all black. Yeah. So we have, this is like life before Christ. There's not, you know, the no light, he's the light of the world and he's swaddled in white. So it kind of pops that out. Yeah. The, yeah. I think it's, this is really fascinating. I'm just looking at this image and I love how the colors and this is what's so this is the, these are the amazing things colors do. So the red and the blue, if you go back to the color wheel, they're complementary colors and um, they really just draw the eye into the cave, into the dark. And right at the center is this little swaddled baby with his halo. Mm -hmm. and um, 
And I was even thinking about looking at the horns of the ox. Uh, it's almost like a moon. It, it echoes a crescent moon. And then on top of that, you've got the star. And then above that, you know, it really just brings the eye down, down, down. And you can even see, um, if you look really closely, you can see the rays coming down from the star right above the manger. And they're down right directly over um, baby Jesus. And, and I love how Mary is primary colors. She has her she yellow is. halo, her red around her. Um, mm -hmm. She's almost swaddled herself and then wrapped in her blue robe. And so that just yeah. that primary feel. This is this is where it all all comes from the, the yeah new... down to the basics yeah. yeah and hidden in the cave hidden you know in this in this tiny space that you know the salvation of the world took place it's and incredible. I love Saint Joseph in his soft rose color robe yeah I mean a lot of people don't realize the the significance of that rose color and I, I yeah. wasn't until I was you know working this up that I realized that I had used that rose color in an art project that I did with my seventh grade catechism class, where we were going through and assigning a color with each of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that they would receive the following year in confirmation. Mm -hmm. And so for that love of the Lord, we had pink. Okay. It's like it's like that just that feeling of love that deep, soft love that you have. And so having St. Joseph in that pink made me feel like, oh, you know, just that, that strong, loving man to take care of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, you know, I was just thinking also with um, the rose vestments at, at during Advent, mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure there's probably, you know, this would all make a lot of sense in, in, um, in the set, you know, in a liturgical setting, this yeah. image. Oh, it is a mystery. So. In, and there are a couple of, you know, you see a couple of angels and they've got, they have pink on. And I suppose we should also say this is not an icon. This is a, this is a Gothic image, not, it's mm -hmm. not iconographic. And there are certain elements that let us know that it's not an icon, but it's, it's a Gothic image. And one of it is, um, again, there are no hard and fast rules, but typically in icons, you would not have people in profile. And, and there is a little bit of depth. There's a, there's a forefront and, 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 and a background here, which you wouldn't get, but it's a, it's a lovely, it does definitely have, um, iconographic elements to it, but it also has some really beautiful Gothic elements as well. It's, it's really, do you know who did this? Do you know who, who made this image or um i will put that one in the show notes i'm sorry i don't have it with me right okay now. i was gonna say but, but typically yeah. you know a lot of a lot of sacred art is not signed right um, so yeah would, usually you just nice get a century mark for different yeah. um pieces so the next image i gotta warn you it's gonna be a shocker okay i'm sitting is, down okay good because this is all about do colors really matter so I had a little mm. fun on the computer and I, oh, wow. Yeah. So I took one of my paintings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So, um, this is a painting I did for a, um, ambo frontal or front of a, uh, lectionary in a, in mm -hmm. a church I used to go to. And we have Christ depicted in majesty in the center, surrounded by the four living creatures that represent the four gospel writers and I did this with my catechism class 
because I had them, I took the outline of this only and let them color it. But I wanted to show them the significance of thinking about what color you color things. Mm. And so I played around with the hue setting in my art program on the computer and really just messed with the color wheel. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I you mean, did. Yes, I did. <laughs> so, so it's kind of interesting to think about, you know, do colors matter? Mm. You know, yeah, I mean, you can't just have Jesus dressed in purple and green. No. Or <laughs> no. It kind of, you, you feel like it's a different feeling. There's different different colors do have different meanings for us. They do. They do. And I think also, I it, it also is influenced by where we are. You know, you and I are up in the Northern Hemisphere. And so we're used to looking at a lot of rich greens and blues and these jewel tones, um, winter colors, I guess is what they're called. But then if you go someplace, um, you know, like India, my husband, when he, he's done lots of work all around the world in case people haven't picked up on that. So we've gone to different places, but, um, in India, he, he sent me photographs of a cathedral and they were extraordinary, but the amount of red used in, um, in terms of the ratio to blue was a much greater and the blue was actually had a red undertone. But if you, you know, he's like, well, if you go outside, these are the colors that, that people see. And so it, they do make sense to, to their eyes because it, it, it's a way of them connecting to it. And so I'm just looking at the, the one that has a lot of the red in it, the one right below the, the original and you know, as we were talking, I was like, do you know what? You could probably tweak that just a little bit and maybe put it in, um, is it a Malab uh, Malabar Ciro church? And it would be absolutely appropriate and, and people would really connect with it. Uh, as, yeah, yeah. We went to it. We went to one, we went to a mass at a Ciro Malabar church. And when I first walked in, I was kind of struck by all of the reds it, you, to me, it just looked like, wow, look at all these reds and golds and this blue. I don't, it's almost like a teal blue, not a teal blue, um, like a peacock blue. And, uh, but then I thought, oh, but this makes sense. It's beautiful. It was beautiful. It was just, it took a minute for my, my mind to, to make sense of it because it was so different from what I was used to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now that I they go anybody. so far as putting red on the ceiling instead of blue on the ceiling, like a lot of, um, Western churches or even Eastern right churches might have the ceilings in blue with gold stars or the uh, sanctuary might have that deep blue with gold stars. No, do you know what? To be honest, I don't remember, but I do uh, remember. <laughs> Maybe I'll have to go back. It Just for a hint, was, people, when you go into a church, look up. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and you know what? And take some photographs. Yes. <laughs> and share it, share it with us. Exactly. So yeah, that was that was our cla crazy little last color. I don't think I'd ever yeah. go for the green and purple Jesus or yeah, those are little crazy colors. Some of them are a little bit yeah, it's it and you do see when it's done well and I think the and I guess this is where I'm going back to to the saturation of color. Mm -hmm. There seems to be the saturation of color, I think uh suggests legitimacy or authority. 
Okay. Whereas, you know, the marshmallow colors that I don't like, there's something just to not be taken seriously. It's not something uh, that, that, you know, we should pay that much attention to, which is oh. a terrible thing when you think that babies are wrapped up in those colors. That is, that's not what I mean, but it's when you're ta- trying to get a message across, a very serious message across, or something that is speaking to the dignity of people, you don't want to use colors that really um, can be easily, you know, forgotten or, or passed over. Yeah. Yeah, you want that message to come through strong. So I mean, we can see so far from, you know, like what we talked about, we've barely touched the surface of what can happen with colors. And just knowing like colors change culturally, Uh, your environment affects your culture, your color combinations and thoughts. And um, not only that, but then there's just the color use on statues and murals and icons, vestments, stained glass windows, you know, all those colors kind of change and tweak a little for where they're used. I had the pleasure of taking a statue to be refinished and seeing the hundred year old book that was used for recording and documenting what statues have what colors based on their pose. Oh, okay. So they had a whole chapter on St. Joseph and depending on how St. Joseph was posed, it actually changed what colors he was wearing to try to present a different uh, spiritual yeah, understanding. To communicate, yeah, yeah, to communicate um, a message through that. Yeah, if you wanted to show his connection to King David, you're going to put some royal purple on him. If you want to yeah. show him as the earthly father who's, you know, foster father to Jesus to take care of him, then they go with the browns. It's yeah. just neat to see how they play off those different understandings. Of the spiritual yeah, reality. Yeah, absolutely. And and this is something that people have understood and knew for a long, long time. And and it was a way of communicating. And, you know, we want to kind of just rediscover these things. So people can go into churches and we always say this, go into a church, go into a museum. When you look at something, you're going to be gleaning a lot of information that might not be well known to everybody. And that's the, and because there's so much depth to it, so much depth and um, hidden treasures in it. Well, knowing that we can go on and on and on about colors. Yes, we can. Our (laughs) next episode is going to be about what? So our next episode is going to be about a particular um, painting or two paintings and their story and our story within their story. Uh, And it's going to be about Joseph of the Old Testament. So if you want to hear about how you, um, in in your own way, participate in his story and you want to find out the stories of these panels, you're going to have to join us again. So until next time, I'm Alex Murray. And I'm Catherine Laffrey, hoping you find something beautiful. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy, The Secrets of Star Trek. Find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Star Trek.